0: We've done. uh, We've just sort of working through, as you know, the the um, the Gospels, one Gospel per Sunday. Now we're not doing an overview of the Gospel. Uh, We're just sort of touching on something about it that makes it it unique, and we'll sort of we'll continue that this theme on for a little bit. Uh, So we've done Matthew, and we've done Mark. Um, Logically, the next one would be Luke, but uh, we're going to skip him. Uh, and we're going to John and the reason we're doing that is uh, the next two Sundays I'm away uh, and Jake's going to pick up Luke and continuing with the author of Luke he's going to do Acts and so uh, there is method to the madness of of, of skipping over Luke uh, but today we've landed in the gospel according to John and we will um, <clears throat> you know many questions obviously about uh, the gospels and, and It's good to have those questions. Uh, Of course, as we know, um, John being the fourth gospel, um, what makes it unique? We know that, of course, there's four gospels, and and one of the early um, ancient writers gave a good answer to the question, why are there four gospels? And the answer was, well, they're not four gospels, but rather one gospel fourfold gospel each gospel presents a different perspective of, on the life of Jesus and we need all four to get the full picture so that's a, a, a one way to consider uh, and, and to as we've been reminded every gospel has a has sort of a, a different take on Jesus and so John as far as we know was the last gospel written uh, written in view of what was the previous three had already said and this is one reason why John is so, so different. It's different from Matthew, Mark and Luke. <coughs> there are significant events in the ministry of Jesus that Matthew, Mark and Luke include, but, but John leaves out. Including Jesus' birth, baptism, temptation in the wilderness, the Last Supper, agony on, in Gethsemane, the Ascension, the, the uh, demonic confrontations in parables. The first three Gospels centred on Jesus' ministry in Galilee and John centres his Gospel on what Jesus said and did, primarily in Jerusalem. Now the four Gospels emphasise a different uh, <clears throat> origin, you might say, of Jesus. Matthew shows Jesus came from Abraham, that the genealogy of Jesus um, through the line of David. We, we touched on that. It demonstrates that he is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. Now Mark shows Jesus came from Nazareth, demonstrating that Jesus is a servant, and of course a servant, no one's interested in the genealogy of a servant. So Mark doesn't include anything about that. Luke, what does he show? Well, next week uh, Jake will tell you about that one. But today we get to John. John shows that Jesus came from heaven demonstrating that Jesus is God. And really, this is the whole point of John. It, we, we see Jesus in his deity, that Jesus is God, the Son of God. However, it's wrong to think that the Gospel of John completes the story of Jesus, as if we think, well, we've finally got the last of the four editions, and, and it finally concludes the story of Jesus, Can you turn in your Bibles uh, to the end of the Gospel of John? You've got your Bibles, haven't you? Turn in the Bibles to the end of the, the Gospel of John, uh, last uh, chapter, and the last verse. What do we read? And there are also many other things that Jesus did which, if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the books that would be written—oh, sorry—that the words it's, that the world itself could not contain, the books that would be written—and so we don't get everything about Jesus, um, but we get enough. We get what we need to know. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. <coughs> Of course the known those three are known as the synoptic gospels synoptic means set together and the first three gospels really present Jesus' life in pretty much a similar format. They focus more on what Jesus taught and what Jesus did. Uh, John focuses more on who Jesus is who is Jesus? you know it's often a, a, a good a book to give to someone to read who's trying to figure out was well, Jesus. I thought he was just sort of a, a guy that lived back in the day, wore Roman sandals, did good things. Well, here, read the Gospel of John. Uh, and it presents Jesus. No, he wasn't just a good person. He was the Son of God. And so who is Jesus? Uh, the Gospel of John is always a good place to go to. And so John shows us who Jesus is by highlighting Uh, different signs uh, or miracles of Jesus. Six of these miracles are not mentioned in in the first three Gospels. And John shows us who Jesus is by allowing Jesus to speak for himself in in, in those dramatic I am statements. I am statements that that are in the Gospel. John shows us who Jesus is by calling forth witnesses who will testify about the identity of Jesus. Four of these witnesses speak in the first chapter. Now, John is the gospel written for a specific purpose. You know, when you any book that you're going to pick up, there's bound to be a purpose in writing it. It's not just a collection of words because there's all these spare words floating around. So we're going to put them into a into somewhere and try and catch them. No, there'll be a purpose in writing. And, of course, um, the Gospel of of John, uh, like all of the writing in the Scripture, have a purpose. If you go to John 20, verse 31, uh, here is the key verse for understanding the Gospel of John. uh, And it's found, of course, also at the end of the book. John 20, verse 31, we read this. But these are written. These are written. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. It means that the, the, the anointed one, the Savior, the Messiah. He is the Christ, the Son of God. So that's the information. The transformation comes in that by believing you may have life in his name. So it's not just an academic understanding. Oh, is that who Jesus is? That's part of it. But by understanding that and who that is, by believing that, you may have life. We're going to touch a little bit on life. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, of course, John 3, 16. God so loved the world, He, he gave His only begotten Son that whoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, life is is found in Christ, eternal life, uh, and also life today. And so the Gospel of John has helped numerous people, of course, to believe, even scholarly sceptics. There's an old surviving fragment of the New Testament. It's a portion of John 18. It was found in, in Egypt. Uh, it's believed it, was, it goes de- back to before uh, 150 AD. Uh, and it was used in wide circulation by that date. The Gospel of John is called the Beloved Gospel. It's been called a pool in which a child may wade and an elephant may swim. Isn't that a great thought? It's amazing, isn't it, that uh, you don't need to be very old in years to understand Significant things about God and, and understand, you know, some of what's in the Word of God and, and, and the Gospel of John uh, in particular. But extrapolate that age and experience out a bit further, and how far you go, you can still find depth. It's not like you get to the point where you've mastered it all. Oh, I don't need to know anymore. And, and that's sort of the reference to the to the, even the elephant being able to swim. It's been described as having stories that are so simple that even a child will love them, but its statements are so profound that no philosopher can fathom them. That's interesting too. So wherever you're at, there's more. If we give diligent attention to, as, as um, spoken by another a theologian, if we give diligent attention to entertainment, sports, music or the news how much more should we give diligent attention when a man is speaking from heaven and utters a voice plainer than thunder. And so, just a few of the thoughts generally about the Gospel of John. And so this portion is not merely an a, a, um, introduction it really, it's it sort of it summarizes the whole book. The remainder of John's gospel will deal with the themes introduced uh, here in this first chapter: uh, the identity of the Word: life, light, regeneration, grace, truth, the revelation of God, the Father in Jesus, the Son. So it's all found in, in this Gospel of John. <clears throat> so the first couple of words, a uh, couple of verses in John, let's read them. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So you think about that, that's a fairly major statement. There's some t- tremendous depth and weight in, in those few words. It refers to timeless eternity, just like in Genesis 1:1, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. How far back can you go in your memories? You know, what, where do you get back to if you start thinking? You know, what's the earliest memory you have? Because even before that, there was God. So you talk to your father, you talk to your grandparents. What's your earliest memory? Even before their earliest memory, there was God. And of course, you keep on moving back further and further. In the beginning when there was no no grandfather <laughs> great-grandfather how many times we moved in the beginning god and in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and so john is saying when the beginning began the word was already there that's an enormous thought isn't it how we get our head around that you know the, the enormity of 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 eternity but from a Perhaps a rear view mirror image, you know. We're sort of looking back to the beginning of, of everything and, and what happened back there. Well, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, the Word was already there. That is, that the Word predates time or creation. And so John makes it clear that the word is not just the beginning, but the beginning of the beginning. He was there in the beginning before anything was. Now, the word translated, uh, the word here, logos, is the idea of the logos had deep and rich roots in both Jewish and Greek thinking. So the rabbis often referred to God, especially in his more personal aspects in terms of his word. They spoke of God Himself as the Word of God. When the, <clears throat> the Hebrew editions of the Old Testament, now um, they, 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 they change like this Mo- uh, Exodus 19 17, we read, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they change it to this Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet the Word of God. That's how they understand. weight that they put into the word word, logos and so in the mind of the ancient Jews the phrase the word of God could be used to refer to God himself when we say the word of God we're usually talking about the Bible Um, hey look it up in the word of God You know, that's sort of how we use it in our culture but the word is the name of God now the Greek philosophers they saw that the Logos as the power which puts sense into the world, making the world an orderly uh, place instead of a, a chaotic place, bringing order out of chaos. And so the Logos was the power that set the world in perfect order and kept it going in that order. And so they saw the Logos as the, the ultimate reason that controlled all things, so a little bit different, but also you see how they applied tremendous weight and depth and power to, to the word. And so therefore, in this opening here, John says that both Jews and Greeks, he's speaking to both, and for, for centuries, you've been, he's saying, hey, for, for all this time, you've been talking, thinking and writing about the word, the Logos. I will tell you who he is. <laughs> who is this Logos? <clears throat> John meets both Jews and Greeks where they're at and explains that Jesus, in terms of they already understood. They, they, they understood that logos. Well, this is who you're talking about. It's Jesus. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And so with this statement, with these statements of, of John one, it sets forth some tremendous foundations here. Foundations of our faith. One of them is, of course, the Trinity. We can follow John's logic. There was a being known as the Word. This being is God because he is eternal uh, in the beginning. This being is God because he he is plainly called God. The Word was God. And at the same time, this being does not encompass all that God is. God the Father is distinct, person from the Word. The Word was with God. And so the Father, the Son, and of course uh, the Son is known here as the Word, are equally God, yet distinct in their person. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, yet they were equally God, and with the Holy Spirit making one God in three persons. Now, of course, what about the Watchtower Society? Because this is where they come at when they come knocking on your door. And you look this up, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Jehovah's Witnesses translation reads, in the beginning, the word was, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. And so they use this to deny um, the teaching that Jesus is God. And you'll always find that um, when teachings go off, they mess around with the deity of Jesus, the deity of Christ. The word was a God. He wasn't God, but just a God. And so, the claim of, of course, the Watchtower Society, they defend their translation, is because before the second time God is used in the passage, no, no article, different article appears. It's written God and not the God. And so they make a big deal about that. But, you know, if you want to do, chase that down, uh, you'll find that it, the argument falls apart. Um, <clears throat> The Watchtower quotes well-known Greek authorities to make them appear to agree with their translation, but uh, they've actually misquoted them. Um, and it was... Um, <coughs> and has this one fellow by the name of Dr. Manti even has, has uh, interpreted it as a grossly misleading translation. Uh, and so... Uh, <coughs> the word was a God, is what the... <coughs> Watched our society we're always will put forward because they, to them, Jesus was a God, he wasn't the God. The deliberate distortion of truth by this sect is seen in their Testament translation of John 1 1. It's abundantly clear that a sect which can translate the New Testament like that is intellectually dishonest. That was the comments of one of the. <coughs> commentators he was in the beginning with god it again makes the point that the father is distinct from the son and the son distinct from the father they are equally god yet they are separate persons Uh, interesting concept isn't it the the, the trinity and 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 god and the the father god the father and the son uh, distinct but one it continues on look at verse 3 all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it and so the word created all created things therefore he himself is an uncreated being you know people say well you go back and back and back and then but who created god They get stuck with that. Well, God, in the beginning, was God. Yeah, but, you know, who created God? Well, God was always there. And sometimes we try and put all this this eternity and the enormity of it into our own understanding, and it it just sort of fries our brains. Well, we, we, we can't really fully comprehend that. But Scripture has made it clear that as far back as you can go was God. The word created there, all things. Therefore he himself is an uncreated being, as Paul says in Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. There's a purpose and a reason. There's a purpose and a reason that you were created, as created beings. There is a reason. There is a purpose. You're not an accident. Just sort of spontaneous sort of coming together of very, various atoms and nuclei and whatever and sort of bang, there you are. No, there's a purpose and a reason. Any follower of Christ can take great comfort to know that, well, there is a purpose. There's a reason that I'm here. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the first from the, from the dead, that in all things he may have that preeminence, that Christ may have that, 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 that exalted place. Therefore, without Jesus, what are we? We are dead and in darkness. You see, in him was life. Now the word is the source of all life. The the, the, the Greek word translated life here is, it's spelled Z-O-E, we would call it Zoe, but it's probably Zoe. And so here comes Zoe. Zoe means the life principle. There's another word, bios, and of course you don't need to be a Greek Scholar to know where we get that from, you know, it's speaking of biological life. Now this life is the light of men. Speaking of the spiritual light as well as the natural light, it isn't that the word contains life and light, but rather he is life. And he is life. And so this word, Zoe, it's, it's the life principle. Now we can all have life. If you're alive, you've got life. There's people all around the world got, got life, but many of them are walking dead because they don't have the life that was spoken of as through Christ. In him was life. This is the one to bring life. Not life in, it's necessarily in the physical sense, although he was involved in the creation, but the one who brings spiritual life. This is where it comes from. This is the source of life. And so without Jesus, we are indeed dead and we're in darkness because in him is life and light. Man has an inborn fear towards both death and darkness. Interesting, isn't it? If you're not in Christ, uh, you do have a, it's natural you'd have a great fear of death. Uh, and also darkness. You know, generally speaking, people don't like the dark. But in Christ, hey, we, we have great comfort that we have life. And that death means moving into God's presence. And, of course, the light uh, will overwhelm the darkness. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Uh, notice is written here. It can be translated this way: He it did not overcome. The, the light cannot lose against the darkness. The darkness will never overcome it. That's the point: that um, the the the, uh, the the light that is in Christ will not be overcome by the darkness. You know, you can have a, a candle that's going, and and, and the the um, <clears throat> you know, is the light ever going to over overwhelm it, or the darkness ever going to overwhelm it? You know, you might go and blow the candle out but um, the light itself will always have a presence it might be difficult to see the darker it gets and in Christ the darkness will never overwhelm the light and so now we get to the point of just talking about John and uh, John starts to speak now notice the first few verses here speaking all about Jesus and these are really fundamental and foundational truths to to get our heads around that in the beginning was the Word. Speaking here about Jesus, he was with God, he was God. See, right in that very first verse, it's like he hits it so hard. You can sort of read just verse 1 and then just meditate on that for the next hour, and then we have a cup of tea and go home. Because that really is the crux, isn't it? The whole point was that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that Jesus indeed is God. And so after these really tremendous truths that uh, he gives, he then starts to speak about himself. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so John here bears witness of that light. The world did not know him. You might say, well, how can that be? How can it be that God came to the same world he created, to the creatures he made in his image, and no one knew him? It shows how deeply fallen human nature has rejected God. It's a bit like, you know, you've travelled to the other side of the world and you're walking down Oxford Street in London Man, who's that person? That boy, that looks like my neighbour. <laughs> no, nah, I can't be. You know, can't be him. Uh, because you're not expecting to run to your neighbour in Oxford Street of London. You know, when you come from, you know, Victoria Street, Hamilton. And so you write it off. And when you get back home, you know, after your trip, your neighbour was, you know, mowing the lawns, and they said, Hey, I had the funniest thing happen. I was over in London, and I'm sure it was you that I saw walking down Oxford Street. And you say, well, that's funny, because I thought I saw you too. You know, And you've all been there, done that, haven't you? Because you've disconnected them from... There's no, just no way that you know, they're going to be here. Well, how many people were looking for Jesus? When he came, no one recognised them. They weren't looking for him. Uh, they just sort of had this pie-in-the-sky idea, God a prophet, something, Uh, here he was, and they rejected him. They didn't recognise him. But as many as received him, and those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So though some rejected this revelation, others indeed received him, and thereby became children of God. You know, there's been other occasions when I've been in other other strange places of the world and I've looked at that person and said, oh, man, that does look like someone I know, but no, it can't be. And then they've said, hey, Steve, it is you, you know, and then you're kind of, well, what are you doing here? You know, and away you go, and you've all experienced that as well. So to those who will kind of receive it, I say, well, that is the person I know. Uh, And to those who respond to the call of Christ, they they realise that, yes, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. Uh, and, and, and don't just sort of blow them off like the other person. Those who received him are born of God, but not of the blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so here John reminds us of the nature of the new birth. It is God's sovereign gift to man, not man's achievement. It's like, oh, I worked so hard, I did all this you know, religious activity, and now I'm a Christian that's you know nonsense we respond to what god does we respond to his call he is the one who calls Uh, to them he gave the right to to become children of god it's god's sovereign gift to man jesus speaks about being born from above where the phrase being born again comes from it's not just adhering to religious uh, activities And so we get down there to, um, <clears throat> well, notice John very clear, that was the true light, he says, verse 9. Um, <clears throat> and he was very clear that, that he himself was not that light, but was the one sent to bear witness of the light. He was a signpost. There's the light over there. And, and took no Desire had no attention, didn't want any attention on himself. Uh, he was the pointing finger, the pointing signpost. There's Jesus, that's the one that you want. And surely that should be the testimony of our lives. One who points to Christ. That's the answer there, Jesus Christ. I'm not the answer, I'm just the one pointing the way. And so speaking now in verse 15, <coughs> sorry, verse 14, <coughs> the word became flesh, and dwelt among us and so this is a radical statement for those who would be listening in the in the original uh, audience the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth john bore witness of him and cried out saying this was he of whom i said he who comes after me is preferred before me For he was before me, and of his fullness we have all received. And grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And so this is John's most startling statement so far. Just as a side note, don't get confused between John the Baptist and John the writer of this book. This is John's most startling statement, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now it would have amazed both Jewish and Greek thinking to hear this statement, the word became flesh. The Greeks had a general, a low view of God. To them John says, the word became flesh. And, of course, there was other Greek gods such as Zeus and Hermes who were kind of supermen. They were not equal to the order and reason of the Logos. So, you know, they knew the word Logos. And John tells the Greek thinkers, hey, the Logos you know made and ordered the universe, that one that you give all this authority to, he became flesh. He became A human. You know, that that would be just such a radical thought to them. The Jews had a generally, of course, um, a a different view of God. To them, John, John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Jews had a hard time accepting that the great God revealed in the Old Testament could take on human form. John says to those Jewish thinkers, the word of God became a human became a person and we beheld his glory it's like we're we're testimony We, we were witness we saw he testifies this as an eyewitness even as john the baptist testified john could say i saw his glory the glory belonging to the only begotten of the father so he dwelt among us saying i saw him i know he's for real he was here And though the word beheld is stronger than, than the word saw or looked, John tells us that he and other disciples, uh, the phrases carefully studied the glory of the word made flesh. They looked carefully upon him. And the one announced by John, John bore witness of him and cried out, so the, the one announced by John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, is the word made flesh. And so he brings a different order um, <clears throat> than the one instituted by Moses. Spoken here, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. An inexhaustible supply of grace and truth, contrasting with an order of rigid laws and regulations that came through Moses. Now, Jesus, the word, is the perfect declaration of the unseen God, but we see the phrase here, no unseen God at any time. The Father and the Son belong to the same family, and Jesus has declared the nature of the unseen God to man. We don't have to wonder about the nature and personality of God. Jesus has declared that with his teaching and with his life. Hey, what's God like? Well, study Jesus. Read about Jesus. Get to know Jesus. That's God. Now, we move to the testimony of John the Baptist in the next few verses. John tells us who John the Baptist is. Now, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? It would be a reasonable question, wouldn't it? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, are you Elijah? And they said, no. He said, no. Are you the prophet? he said, no. They said to him, Who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. Remember, this is the question to John the Baptist. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, those who were sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you, whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Beth Abra, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptising. And so John, the Baptist, very clear, no, I'm not the Christ. John, John, the author of the book here, is saying, you know, Jesus the Christ is God. For John, it was unthinkable that anyone would think that he was the Messiah. His job was to point. Are you Elijah? Well, no. Um, the, the priests and the Levites, you know, that they would associate Elijah with uh, uh, that, that prophecy of Malachi, Malachi, a forerunner. In a sense, in a sense, John was that 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 that, um, that person. Are you the prophet? This refers to God's promise through Moses. Lord will, Lord God will raise up for you a prophet from among your midst and of course uh, they were asking that question he says no I'm just one I'm the voice crying in the wilderness now the Jews in John's day practiced baptism it was an outgrowth of a of a ceremonial sort of washing procedure but the Jews of that time typically reserved baptism for Gentiles who wanted to become Jews so, to submit to baptism, a Jew had to somewhat identify with Gentiles. And this was a genuine sign of repentance. It was sort of like, well, you know, this is really quite something to identify with something the Gentiles did when they came and they wanted to become a Jew, they would be baptized. And, and now, a follower of Christ is a Jew, I need to be baptized. So it's somewhat sort of humbling. And so John says, well, I baptised with water. Uh, It cleansed, but it gave nothing to help someone keep clean. It's a bit like, you know, you you go and have a shower and get clean. You think, right, that's it. Don't need another shower the rest of my life. (laughs) Just try that. (laughs) And see what people say. Because having a shower gets you clean, but it doesn't help you stay clean. And this is the point, John's baptism uh, is, is external. Uh, it doesn't help you necessarily stay clean, but there is one coming who will baptise in the Spirit. That is the one. The, the inner working is the one that keeps you clean. One whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose, and of course we spoke about this the other week, that untying the strap of a sandal was considered to be the... the um, the duty of the lowest slave in the house. And the lowest of the low, that would sort of be the, you know, even even rabbis wouldn't be expected to get the, their, their servants to undo their shoestrap. And here John says, hey, I'm not even worthy to do that. So you can see the position that, that is given to Jesus. He's speaking about how the, the authority of Jesus and, and um, how he was... So humbled from before him. And so the next day, uh, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, look at the words here, Behold, the Lamb of God, what does he do? Who takes away the sin of the world. It's not, hey, this is someone who's coming to polish you up and make you a shiny example, shiny example or a better model of what you are. No, this is someone who takes away the sin of the world. He deals with sin. This is he, of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Strong, definite words, aren't they? At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is greeted with words that remind him of his destiny. his sacrificial agony on the cross for the sin of man. This is the one, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. That's the whole point of a lamb. It was sacrificed, the blood was shed for sin. (coughs) So the shadow of the cross was cast over the entire ministry and life of Jesus. God gave John the Baptist the sure sign to know the Messiah, the one who you see the Spirit descending and remaining. He would be the one on whom the Holy Spirit descended from heaven. John's a reliable witness regarding who Jesus is because he has had confirming evidence from God. And so you see how everything points to who Jesus is? I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. This is what John is saying. John the Baptist gives this solemn testimony, this Jesus, he is the Son of God. And that's the theme, that's the thrust with this whole gospel. The gospel of John emphasizes John's role as a witness. Witnesses give testimony as to what they have seen and experienced. In an effort to establish the truth. Witnesses are not neutral. They are committed to the truth of their testimony. Or else they are unreliable witnesses. John's a reliable witness who knows Jesus is because of what he has seen with his own eyes. He's testifying to what he has seen. We drop down to verse 35. Two of John's disciples began to follow Jesus. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus... Uh, As he walked and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, What do you seek? What would you do if Jesus said that to you? What do you seek? What a penetrating question. They said to him, Rabbi, we just translated teacher, where are you staying? Isn't that an interesting answer? Jesus is saying, Well, what do you seek? And they said, Well, where are you staying? Oh, I'm down at the backpackers down Victoria Street, you know, whatever. I mean, what a a kind of, I guess at times you just sort of say whatever's on your mind. Maybe it was so penetrating they didn't quite know how to respond. So, well, well, let's just ask where he's staying. And he says, Well, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. It was about the tenth hour. So, what an interesting sort of exchange here. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? Well, where are you staying? Well, come. Come and see. Think about that whole scene there. Isn't that the way Jesus responds? Come. I've got these questions, Jesus. Well, come. It's always come to me. Uh, let us fellowship. Let us talk. John had said. This of Jesus, he'd already said, behold the Lamb of God. He didn't say it every time he saw Jesus, but it's a reminder of who Jesus is. And so they followed. John didn't care about gathering disciples for himself. He he was satisfied to have these disciples leave his circle. It fulfilled his ministry. It didn't take away from it. And Jesus invited, he invited John, he invited Andrew to be part of his life. He didn't live in a sort of ultra-privileged, gated community where no one else could get into. Jesus taught and discipled others by allowing them to live with him, to be closely connected with him. One of the two who heard John speak, verse 40, and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we've found the Messiah. Just think about that for a moment we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah, you should be called Cephas, which means a stone. And so this is fant- you know, just a fantastic scene here, isn't it? He, he gets his brother and says, Hey, guess what, bro? we found the Messiah. Generation after generation after generation are looking for the Messiah. And here's this guy he says, we found him we found the one we've been looking for. Andrew's testimony about who Jesus is says he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. There's something about this says we have found what we've been looking for. You shall be called Cephas. And so in giving Simon this new name, Cephas or Peter, uh, it means a stone, Jesus tells Andrew's brother what kind of man he will be transformed into. At the time and throughout the gospel, Peter may have looked like a a rock on the outside, but really he was anything but that on the inside. But before Jesus is done with Peter, he will indeed be a stone of stability for Christ. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, verse 43, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And so once again, that, that word, follow me. It's not about signing up to a, an ideology or, or a principle or become, becoming part of a <clears throat> uh, a, a concept. It's, it's relational. Follow me. It's all about relationship, isn't it? Follow me, he says. Verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel. He said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. And then he says this, Jesus of Nazareth. Now that would get garner attention. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, and Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I was <laughs> like, wow, that's quite a bit of a, a low blow, isn't it? You know, you, you, you meet someone and they say, where are you from? And say, well, uh, I'm from Toy Happy. <laughs> you knew I was going to say that. Can anything good come out of Ty Happy? <laughs> it's like, well, we had to win friends and influence people, for sure. But it's the same kind of thought here, isn't it? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because Nazareth, Nazareth was looked down on. And surely nothing good can come out of that place. You're talking about the Messiah, the one that's prophesied. You're talking about the one that's, that uh, we've been looking for. And he comes from Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, well, come and see. So once again, he didn't sort of try and say, well, you know, it's not such a bad place. You know, they've got a cool skate park there and all the rest of it. No. So we we'll come and see. Come and see Jesus. Forget about Nazareth. It's the person. Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, behold, an Israelite, indeed whom is, is no in whom is no deceit, and Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi. (laughs) Quite a change, isn't there? Gone from just some guy from Nazareth, now he's calling him Rabbi. You are the son of God. See, once again, the testimony of a person You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And so this is Philip's testimony. As a witness of Jesus Christ, he declares that he is indeed the Messiah. He's the Savior, the predicted one of the Old Testament. Interesting. His first response, talking about anything good come out of Nazareth, Nathaniel prejudices himself against Jesus. You know, he, he's already kind of put up this spit of a bit of a barrier that's almost immediately knocked down when he meets Jesus. Isn't that a picture of what so often happens in people's lives? They talk. You know, they, there's a barrier put up. It might be religion. It might be the church. It might be other Christians pray to God that we're not a barrier in someone's life. Oh yeah, I don't know anything about God. I know that guy who goes to church. Man, he's a rat bag. I don't know what to do with whatever he's doing. We can put barriers up. For Nathaniel, it was it was Nazareth that was the barrier. But when he met Jesus, suddenly it didn't matter. Amazing how when a person comes to Christ, all those barriers are just uh, removed, disappear. It's possible, of course, that Nathaniel <clears throat> liked to pray and meditate on the things of the Lord under the shade of an actual fig tree, but under the fig tree was a phrase rabbis used to describe meditation of the Scriptures. It could be that Jesus said, well, hey, I saw you. I saw you meditating on the Scriptures. Are we guilty of the same thing? Are we guilty of meditating on the scriptures? Does Jesus see us doing that? Yeah, I saw you meditating on my word. I trust he can say the same thing about us. <clears throat> if we see heaven open, the angel of God descending, it probably connects with the dream of Jacob, of course. We, we think a lot about the similarities, in Jacob and his ladder, um, <clears throat> The idea of a mediator between God and man. The section of John shows four ways of coming to Jesus. One, Andrew came to Jesus because of the preaching of John. He heard. Peter came to Jesus because of the witness of his brother. He saw. Philip came to Jesus as a result of the direct call of Jesus. There was just that inner work, you know, it was just that, that calling. Nathanael came to Jesus as he overcame personal prejudice by a personal encounter with Christ. You see the, the, all the different aspects, the different ways that God calls. It also shows us in this passage four different witnesses testifying to the identity of Christ. John the Baptist, he testified that Jesus is eternal, that he is the man uniquely anointed with the Holy Spirit, that he is the Lamb of God and that Jesus is the unique Son of God. Andrew testified that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Philip testified that Jesus is the one prophesied in the Old Testament. Nathaniel testified that Jesus is the Son of God and the King of Israel. So you, well, shouldn't you think, well, <laughs> Jesus is indeed God. It's the whole point, isn't it? That Jesus is God. <clears throat> Back in verse 4 we, we read how that in him is life. In him was life and the life was the light of men. just want to finish with a few uh, thoughts about over there in John 8. John 8.37 we're thinking about life. There can be people who are alive but dead. In John 8, 37, we read this. No, we don't read this. <clears throat> Chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, and so we believe this feast is the Feast of Tabernacles that went on for you know, for a week. And one of, the, one of the sort of activities of that time was uh, that they would bring water, and a big urn of water up to the steps of the temple and tip it out. And it would, would, would wash down over the steps of these hot stones on the temple steps. And they'd be reminded how Jesus brought water out of the rock in their, in their sojourn in the desert. But on the last day of the feast, for some reason, they never did that. I don't know whether it was replaced by something else, but they didn't do the water thing on the last day of the feast. And so Jesus stands up there and he cries out saying, it's understood that he went to probably the temple and he stands there and he cries out and he says, if anyone thirsts... Now that would be quite an impact because they're used to this water coming down every day and now this day it doesn't happen. But Jesus said, is anyone thirsty? And and people would probably respond, well, yeah, actually, because why don't they do the water on these days? But the, you see the the visual picture here. If anyone thirsts, you know, come, I've got some bottles of water over here. Come on up, guys. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Once again, it's that calling, isn't it? Verse 38: He who believes in me, as the Spirit, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers. Of living water, and I really believe that that sort of captures the life that, that's presented through John. That Jesus, the Son of God, is the source of life. Yes, He was there in the beginning; He created life, but He is the one through whom we have spiritual life. There is no other. There's no other name given by which a man should, can be saved. And so as we just uh, consider all of this here, and we've only just sort of touched on a few things of John, but a little, some of the few things that make it unique is that John so clearly holds up Jesus by his own testimony and those of others around him that Jesus is God. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. And Jesus, what did he say? Come. Come to me. And drink. Maybe you want and need to drink deeply. This morning of Jesus, to drink deeply of the spiritual nourishment that only He can provide, the life and the light that is only found in Him, and perhaps you've been looking for it all, everywhere else, and it's just not satisfying. Uh, you know, it's a bit like when you're really thirsty. What is it that you that you like to drink? You know, for me, it's 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 just water. When you have that real thirst. You think, well, I want some fizzy drink, I want some Coke or some, you know, sparkling Perrier or whatever. No, I just want plain water, thanks. Just give it to me, water is all I need. And once you're no longer thirsty, then you kind of think, oh, I can have all these fancy drinks and that sort of kind of thing. And that's all very nice. But when really, when you are thirsty, I find water is the one that you need. Are you thirsty this morning? Because you'll find the only one to quench that thirst is Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. The word of God both that we hold in our hands here, called the Bible, but we thank for the word, which is Jesus Christ. And it has been testified to us, the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, God in the flesh, who lived, died and was resurrected. The lamb who died for the sin of the world. That all who might believe He gave the right to become children of God. So Lord, we just thank you that you have done all this. Our response to you is what's needed. Lord, I pray that we would just consider those words reflected in different ways. Come. Come to me. And that indeed we would do that this morning. Perhaps in our hearts we've... We need to be reminded to come, come back into that place of fellowship, come back into that place of, of, of receiving and, and drinking deeply of the spiritual nourishment and life that only you provide. Come and allow the Spirit to, to deeply work in our hearts to surrender those parts of our lives that we've kept away. So Lord, I just pray now as we conclude in worship, Lord, work in our hearts, speak and move amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, shall we, just conclude in worship and just consider some of the things we've, we've touched and the words we've read and the scriptures, the work of the Spirit of God. May we indeed drink deeply this morning of the Spirit of God nourishing us. Let's all stand.